Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. So glad you're here and just, just thankful for you guys. I also want to say this, that maybe you're in this room and maybe you don't have a father in your life or maybe you don't have anyone in your life that looks like a father figure or your father has treated you in a way or he's non-existent. I just want to say this, I recognize that this morning too, and my prayer is this, that however that has been modeled to you, that you would see this morning that there is a God in heaven who loves you fiercely, and he is a father that will not betray you, that will not love you, let you down, that his love is so unconditional, that his love is so consuming, that even if you have had a father that is non-existent, God is not that way. And as we're going to see this morning, he pursues you and he loves you. Because I know that this can be a difficult day for some people. Or maybe your father has passed away. Or maybe you haven't been the father that you wished you would have been to your children. Or maybe, like I said, you just have a father that has not been there for you ever. But don't let that determine your view of God because God is not that kind of a father. He loves you fiercely and he is there fighting for you in every single battle. And he's here this morning just wrapping his arms around you and saying, just come to me and let me hold you because I'm here for you and I fight for you. This week has been a... It's been a beautiful week, yet also a difficult week for me. You know those times in your life when God really gets a hold of you and just reveals some things to you in such a tender and a loving way, but ways that refine you and grow you and challenge you. And the ways that he has been working on me this week, a lot of it is through this text and just some different situations that has happened is... Sometimes I feel like I can come across and not convey the heart of God with my, with, with my complexion, with how, I per, with how I present him, with my intensity or some ways like that. And sometimes the words that come out of my mouth may talk about this great God who we serve, but sometimes I feel like it comes across as he is not that. And if you're in this room and I've ever done that and you left this place thinking, man, God is really beating me down, I apologize for that. But I want you to know that as God continually works and refines me and as I just, like, I love God so much and I love you guys so much that I so deeply want you to know the heart of God and sometimes that is not conveyed in the way that my heart feels. And so God has really been wrecking me this week in a beautiful way that says, Luke, like, I love my people. I am here for my people, and I'm fighting for them. And the title of this message is Sheath Your Sword. See, sometimes in the fight for truth, we can start like Peter, hacking off body parts as if we're defending God, but God does not need to be defended. He is sovereign and he is on the throne. And so while truth does not subside, my prayer is this, that every person that walks in this room as we move into a new season in this church, as we talked about how we are asking God to save the lost, they would not just hear of his goodness and his love, but they would feel his goodness and his love. And if there's some way that I have hindered that, that's where God has broken me. And it's a beautiful thing. 
that this God in heaven would love us so much that he would deeply pursue us. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the things that you have done in my life this week. I thank you that when you correct us, it's out of kindness, it's in your gentleness, God, that you just come and you so sweetly and gently convict where we need to be convicted. Why? Because you love us. So God, I pray this morning as your word goes out that that I would convey your heart not just with my mouth, but with my actions, with how I communicate you, God, that you would show yourself faithful, God. And I pray if there's someone in this room that does not know this great king, does not know the love of God, that you would draw them into yourself. And if there's someone in this room who has not been represented what a father is, well, God, I pray this morning that you would reveal your heart and your kindness. God, may I get out of the way. May you move in this time for your glory and not mine. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So if you're new with us, we've just been studying through the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 18 this morning, and we are going to go through verse 14. John says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples Entered. We know that this garden was the Garden of Gethsemane. Why, every time I get up here and say that word, it's like my tongue seriously ties. I don't get it. Gethsemane. There we go. So this is where Jesus was before he was about to go to the cross. And I want us to see Luke's account in this in 24. Luke says, or in chapter 22, Luke says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then it says this, And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke was a doctor. And it's interesting that he writes about this because this literally can happen. And Jesus, so filled with love, so consumed with love for his people, was so agonized for what he was about to do that he was literally sweating drops of blood. Why? Because he loved us. And I find it very interesting that Luke says an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. See, Jesus was God himself, yet he was about to go and atone for the sins of mankind. And it caused him so much agony because it was going to be so painful. He was taking on the full weight of sin for all of the world. And it caused him to sweat drops of blood, which was drops of love for you and for me. It's also interesting that Jesus did not change his habits or seek to hide. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He went to the very spot where he often gathered with his disciples, knowing Judas would know where to find him as he was going to betray him before he went to the cross. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. What's interesting is we know that this was around the time of Passover. We saw that in chapter 13, and the whole context from 13 to now is still within that context. We know that there had to have been a full moon because Passover was around the time of a full moon, and so... 
these officers are going out with lanterns, even though it's probably not super dark, but they don't really probably know where they're going. All they know is that they were following a band of soldiers to go and arrest this guy that was claiming to be God. This work, word band in the Greek is spira, which is a cohort or 600 men. However, it can also be used, which was a tenth of a legion, by the way, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, a legion with 6,000 men. It can also be used to, for a word that involves 200 men, of which not all have to be present. But all this to say is it's not like there was this little group of 10 men going after Jesus. They called in the infantry. They called in the armies, and they went after this humble king who had come to atone for the sins of the world. So they bring, it could have been 600, it could have been 200. All we know is that the word used here represents a whole lot of men. And the officers were the temple police who they would bring in from all over around the time of Passover. So there were many temple police also coming on this route to come and arrest Jesus to bring him to the cross. Verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. What's interesting is John is the only gospel that does not reference Judas kissing Jesus to betray him. And I think it's because John wanted to hyper-focus on the fact that Jesus was in utter and complete control. He knew this was coming, so John didn't want to emphasize the work of Judas betraying him, but rather that Jesus was in control and he was on the move. I also want to see this, say this because this is very important in this text. Jesus in this English says, I am he. If you look at the Greek text, it literally just says, I am. What's interesting is that at the time of Passover, this had to be very near to their heart in their mind, this name, I am. Why? Because they were celebrating the time when God had led them out of slavery. If we know anything, we know that the 10th plague was the plague of Passover where Pharaoh was not going to let the people of God go. So God commanded all of the nation of Israel to go kill a goat or a lamb to take the blood and wipe it on their doorposts, and God was going to move through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn, whether it be whether it be a human, livestock, anything, he was going to kill the firstborn. But any house that had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, he would sweep over and they would be completely safe. This is what they're celebrating at the time of Passover. Moses said this in Exodus 3, 13 through 14, leading up to Passover. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am 
who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So here's Jesus in the garden being betrayed by Judas and numerous men coming after him. And Jesus says this. He asked who they're after and they said, Jesus. And he said, I am. This had to have been what caused them to draw back and fall to their face. The God of heaven was the man that they were coming to arrest. And no doubt this name, I am, was very near to their heart because this was the very celebration they were celebrating. Passover, when I am delivered them from slavery, now I am is going to the cross to deliver mankind from slavery to their sin. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Like it gives me chills thinking of this God who sent his son to redeem mankind because he loved them so fiercely. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? It's interesting also that John is the only one that records Peter is the one who chopped off Malchus's ear. Almost like, I mean, poor Malchus, man, like, he got it rough. He was just coming on a journey, and Peter, with his clumsiness, grabs a sword and goes after him, and his ear falls off. I mean, he ought to at least get some recognition, right? But no other gospel writer mentions anything about Peter being the one who cut off the ear other than John. He was the great tattletale, right? But he's saying the cup that the Father has given me, this is the mission of Jesus. Think about this. Peter, he gets a bad rap, but he was really defending this God that he loved. He had walked with him. He had talked with him. And all of a sudden, an army of men are coming after him. And his instinct is, well, i got to defend this God. Because I love him. His intentions were amazing. His intentions were great. So he grabs a sword and probably in his clumsiness was probably aiming for the head and missed and hit the ear. <laughs> I highly doubt he grabbed a sword and he's like, oh, I'm going to cut this man's ear off because he's coming after Jesus. I imagine that he was probably trying to kill him. <laughs> so he grabs and in his clumsiness he misses the ear and... Jesus probably just shakes his head and says, oh, Peter, let me show you how. I'll just put the ear back on. Right? 12 through 14. Then a band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the, he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for all people. So with the time we have left, I want to talk about two things that I think explode out of this text that just reveal the goodness of a great God. The first is this, God is in complete control and does not need to be guarded nor defended. He's in complete control. We cannot impact it. We cannot thwart his plan. We can do nothing to destroy it. Matthew 26, 52 through 54 says this. 
Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? It's interesting because the armies came with a tenth of a legion, maybe 600. And it's interesting that not in John's account, but in Matthew's, Matthew's, he reveals that Jesus says, you really think that I need your defense? If I so desired, I could call from heaven and call 12, basically 72,000 angels, 12,000 legions, more than that, he said. I don't need your defense. I don't need you to guard me. I'm incomplete and utter control. But like Peter, we often want to guard or defend God against those who are attacking him. And I've been reflecting deeply upon this. Because while we may have the best intentions in mind, when we begin to defend and protect God, sometimes we do not represent and convey his heart in the way that he wants it conveyed. Because God does not need to be defended. Naturally, the desire is to defend him. And when we do this, it can produce frustration and cause a response like Peter that can cause great regret. The only reason Peter pulled the sword was he wanted to defend his king. And all of a sudden, this man, his ear was cut off. Out of his frustration, out of his pure intentions, his pure motives, it was out of his love for Jesus that he did it. It was not in frustration probably, but he just loved this God, this king, and the response was something that he regretted. He saw the officers coming after Jesus and his immediate response was to grab the sword. Right, I've mentioned it, but I can literally see Peter, like Braveheart style, thinking, oh, these guys aren't coming after my king. Where's my sword? And he pulls it out, and he aims for the head, and his clumsiness chops off an ear, and all of a sudden he looks big-eyed and buggy, and he's like, oh, no. I missed, and now I'm in trouble. And I can just see him looking at Jesus, uh-oh, uh, Jesus, a little help here? <laughs> right? I've really messed up. And then Jesus in his kindness, does not come after Peter and say, how dare you pull your sword? I don't need to be defended. How dare you do that, Peter? No, he didn't do that at all. He literally came and said, put your sword back in your sheath, Peter. Everything's going to be totally fine. And then he bends down and picks up Malchus's ear and says, here you go, Malchus, here again. The very Malchus that was coming to haul Jesus to the cross. If I was Jesus and I, one of my guys chopped off someone's ear and they were coming after me, I'd be like, amen, brother, keep fighting. <laughs> Not Jesus, he loved his enemy. He loved the one that was coming for him and he proved it by healing him and putting his ear back on. And I can just see it. Jesus doing this with kindness in his eyes, with love in his heart, saying, thank you for loving me, Peter, but let's try that again. Let's try it again. So he bends down, picks up his ear, and plops it back on. Just another day with Jesus, right? <laughs> Just another normal day. A man's ear's off, and now it's back on. 
Luke 22, 48 through 51 says this, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And with those who were around him saw that he would follow, they said, Lord, what shall we strike? Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Others wanted to do it. We see here, Peter was just the one that acted. Others wanted to pull the sword, but Peter, probably like me in my hastiness, is the first person to grab the sword and start chopping off ears, noses, lips, mouths, eyebrows, so you can't raise them at me anymore, right? And all out of love for God, but sometimes it's not conveyed and it doesn't convey the heart of God. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But hear this, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. He healed the one who was coming to bring him to the cross. That is love. Peter's intentions were great. Couldn't bear to see others come against his king. Right? It was his desire to protect Jesus. And though his intentions were pure in wanting to fight for his God, the outcome was not aligned with the heart of his God. It was noble, but it didn't represent the heart of God. So Jesus gently comes alongside and redirects, enough of this, Peter, put your sword back in your sheath. (laughs) Just trust me, I'm in control. You can't thwart me, you can't protect me, you can't guard me, because I am all sufficient and I am sovereign. And guess what, Peter, the world revolves around me. Not only did Jesus redirect, but he healed that which Peter had messed up. Praise God for that. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Some of the ways that I've conveyed things maybe that have driven some people away, maybe or maybe not, but then I have to rest in the fact that God is in control. But he heals that which we mess up. That's who God is. He heals all that we mess up if we will just come to him and fall before him. He heals it and he forgives it. See, Jesus was in complete control. And thank God, because I'm telling you, I've swung the sword a lot. (laughs) In the name of love and in the name of God. And while it may be truth, trust me, I promise you this, at this church, we will never shy away from truth. But my desire is that we would be a bunch of people that present it in love. That show the kindness of God. His kindness leads to repentance. And if we're going to reach this valley, people need to know that there's a God in heaven who fiercely loves them. And he fights for them. And we're just here to convey the message. See, in an attempt to defend God, we often swing for the head, the knowledge And we pull out the sword to defend him, and we often think how we defend him reveals our love for him. Things we say, how much we know, theological arguments, whatever, we think we win. But here's the deal. We can hit the head, but God hits the heart. And he hits the heart through love and kindness. You want to talk about the sharpest sword was when Jesus comes to Judas and calls him friend, as we're going to see, the very man that betrayed him. And when Jesus comes to Malchus and picks up his ear and puts it back on as he came to haul him to the cross. That's a sharper dagger to anyone's heart to see this kind of love, this kind of God that would do this for me. That is a sharp sword. And so often we just grab our sword and we go straight for the guzzler. (laughs) And often it's based upon all of our knowledge and all that we know. 
And Jesus says, just trust me. Just show people who I am and I'll do the work. See, in our attempt to guard and defend him, we often misrepresent his heart. Hear this, our job is not to defend him, but to proclaim him and proclaim him in alignment with his love for people. He does not need to be defended for no one can overtake him. And hear this, if our pursuit is to guard and defend him, we will become defensive. If our pursuit is to love and proclaim him, we will become contagious. It's amazing. I've seen it in my own life. Whenever I just try to defend the heart of God, whenever I try to pull out the sword and say, God, I love you so much. If this man's coming after you, I'll knock him dead. I'll stab him right in the heart. God says, you can go for the head, Luke, but if you let me go for the heart, watch as all of a sudden I begin to do things that will blow your mind well beyond any sword that you can throw. God uses people like us to convey a message that saves and redeems so that the lost might be found and that the church might be matured. And it's beautiful. There's nothing like it. Number two is this. And this is powerful. He cares for those who do not care for him. Think about it. God cares for those who do not care for him. Matthew 26, 47 through 50 says this. I mean, this is incredible. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Ponder this. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus and at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Jesus just called Judas his friend. The very man that was coming to betray him, to kill him, Jesus calls him friend. Jesus didn't say, how dare you, Judas? How could you betray me after these three years? I've shown you myself so faithful, and now you're betraying me? What kind of a friend is this, Judas? You're no friend at all. He said, friend, do what you have come to do. Stunning. I don't know about you, but I would not consider someone a friend who had just handed me over to be crucified, who had sold me for 30 pieces of silver. The first thought of my mind would not be, hey, friend, be, hey, betrayer, thanks for selling me out. Not Jesus. I'd view him as a betrayer, not a friend. Or how about Malchus coming along, the officers arrest him. This poor bystander gets his ear cut off. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> I've been there a few times. Jesus said, he didn't say, serves you right, Malchus. That's what you get for coming and trying to crucify me. Your ear's now gone. He picked up his ear off the ground and made him hear again. 
That only happens from someone who cares deeply for people that don't care about him. Clearly, Judas did not care about Jesus. Clearly, Malchus did not care about Jesus, but Jesus demonstrated his kindness in healing them when they did not need it, calling Judas a friend and healing Malchus's ear. It's powerful. See, Jesus loves and cares for those who do not love and care for him. Hear this, Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, or otherwise, those that don't care about Jesus. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we did not care for God, Christ died for us. See, God's love and care for people is not based upon their reciprocated love for him, but on, upon his unconditional love for them. It's amazing. It's his nature. This is why he went to the cross, because he loves and cares for people, even those who reject him and betray him. I don't know about you, but that's a deep form of love. I can't model it. I can't mimic it. See, Peter's response to those who came against Jesus was to swing the sword and take out all those who came against him. Jesus' response to Judas and Malchus as they came against him was called Judas a friend and put Malchus's ear back on. It's amazing. It's truly stunning. See, his kindness is a sword, a sword that cuts deeper to the heart, revealing his love and care for people. Sometimes I think we get this idea that God does not love sinners or, well, if, God's not, if you're not saved, God just hates you and he does not care for you. That's not the case. See, God can love someone fiercely. He can pursue them till the day they die. And if they reject him, they will be separated from him, but it's not on account of his lack of love or care for them. It's because we have chosen to reject his love, to reject his care. Jesus pursues sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus cares for those who do not care for him. And he has given us the invitation to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus. The whole reason he sweated drops of blood was to redeem and set mankind free. But our rejection of him has nothing to do with his lack of love for us. There's no greater love like it. Scripture says God is love. It's amazing. See, Jesus cares for those who don't care for him. His kindness, his love, his compassion. Why? Because his kindness leads to repentance, Romans 2.4. Repentance leads to salvation, 2 Corinthians 7.10, and salvation leads to life and life to the full, John 10.10. 10. It's a beautiful progression. And guess where it all starts? With the love and the care of God. So maybe you're in this place and you came and you think your view of God because of how your fatherhood was modeled was maybe, man, he just beat you up. When I make a mistake, I know what that was. That was the belt or the paddle. 
He just whips me. In fact, I've come to him before and he's cut off my ear and left it on the ground and kicked it in the dirt. Maybe not just the ear, maybe the whole face, maybe my heart. He ripped it out and he threw it to the ground and he trumped on it and just watched the blood flow. It's not God. That's not who God says he is. He cares for those who do not care for him. Why? Because he desires that none would perish and all would come to repentance. And it's his kindness that draws sinners in to show the power of a redeeming God. And sometimes it's slow, but when you meet the kindness of God in the face of your sin, there's like a crash course and it explodes with life. There's nothing greater in all of creation than that. Stunning. As we close, what we have seen is one, there is a great peace that comes from knowing that we don't have to defend God, he can defend himself. Trust me, I've been guilty of it. Many times thinking I have to defend his sovereignty, I have to defend his word, I have to defend the gospel, I have to do all this. While we stand in truth, we do stand in defense in some way and proclaim the goodness. But what happens when we think we have to defend, protect, and guard God, often we come to people in this mode of defense or frustration thinking, I just want to shake you because you don't believe. How can you not believe? Why? Because we're trying to defend the God of the universe rather than God, you are good. You, the orbit is around you and I'm trusting you in your sovereignty. I'm going to convey your heart. I'm going to show my neighbor love because you love them, because you care for them. Even if they're strung out and they're growing meth in their back lab, God cares for them. If you're an alcoholic and you're, you can't get off the bottle, God cares for you. He cares for them. If you're living in sin and you can't get away from it, he cares for you. He's pursuing you. If you think you're going to take your life, he cares for you. He's pursuing you. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank, but God is not this God in the sky with a sword waiting to behead you at any moment he can. He's the one that picks up the pieces that we behead and puts it back on. See, we are the ones in our defense that brutally hurt people. We are the ones that sometimes the church gets a bad rap because we are cutting off too many ears, too many noses, too many mouths, punching out too many teeth. Why? Sometimes it's with great intentions because we love God and we want people to know, but God does not need us to defend him. He is sovereign. If we will love people, if we will proclaim the gospel, if we will say, man, I know this great God who cares for you even when you don't care for him, even when you hate him and you're screaming profanities at him, he loves you and he's trying to draw you to himself to give you life that only he can give. Just come to him, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus and make him your, your savior and your Lord. And all of a sudden, life explodes in your heart. See, here's the deal. We need to sheath our sword and trust his. 
So Jesus said, Peter, sheath your sword. I got this, man. My kindness has got this. Sheath your sword and trust mine. Who I am, I'm sufficient. My word is sufficient. My spirit is sufficient. I am sufficient. Sheath your sword and let me use mine. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter. And I haven't seen this in a long time and I was reminded of it this week. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then it says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Get it? Sharper. Sharper than Peter's sword. Sharper than any sword we can chop. Sharper than any knife we can use. As God calls us into his rest, that's why he calls us. Life in him is to rest in him. It's all over our banners. It's all over the billboard. Find rest for your soul. God says, enter this rest, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. Stunning. If we will sheath our sword... And let God unleash his, look out hell, because we're invading it with power. A God that cuts off people's head is not a God that saves, is not a God that loves. A God that picks up the pieces that we cut off and puts it back together is a God that loves and cares. And that's the God that we serve. He's saying, rest in me. Trust that I'm doing a work, and you don't need to defend me. My word is enough. I am enough. And number two, as we close, remember, he cares for those who don't care for him. And maybe you're in this room, saved or not saved, and you're feeling like God does not see you and does not care, and as a result, you are completely over him. You know the amazing thing about God is you may be over him, but he is not over you. See, sometimes in life we walk through some things that are very painful. Family struggles, life struggles, and we're saved and we know this God and we know that he loves us, but sometimes it just doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it just feels like he's hung us out to dry. Sometimes it feels like he's the one cutting off ears. I want you to hear this this morning, that if you are over him this morning, he is not over you. If you don't care about him this morning, he cares for you. And he's asking you to surrender your life and give him your life so that he can do a deep work and set you free. It's a free gift. You just have to believe. See, he loves you, he's crazy about you, and he continues to fight for you. And he has proved it by giving his life for you. If the band wants to come up. It's impossible for me to know all the struggles in this room, all the various views of who God is in this room. The pain, the heartache. Maybe today is an especially hard day for you as a father or 
Like I said, knowing you didn't have a father. And you're thinking, man, if God cares for me the way that my father cared for me, forget him. I want nothing to do with this God. Did you know that there is no such thing as coincidence in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? You are not here this morning through coincidence. You are here this morning through his providence. Because he is pursuing you, because he wants you to see his heart. And he wants you to see that even if you don't care for him, he cares deeply for you. And he proved it by going to the cross, something he did not need to do, but something that he chose to do to pluck you from death and to give you life. To pluck you from the kingdom of darkness and grant you residence in the kingdom of life. And I want you to know this, I'm not saying that all of a sudden everything's great and fireworks happen when you come to Jesus. It's called a process like God takes us on a journey sometimes and sometimes it takes a long time to heal. But I'll promise you this, it takes a lot longer to heal if you're fighting against God, if you're running from him and you're saying, you know what, God, forget you. I'm done with you because you're done with me. It's in his kindness, it's in his love this morning that you are in this place. And he's telling you that if you don't care for him in this moment, he cares for you and he's fighting for you. And he fought it all the way to the grave. And he didn't stop and leave it there. He exploded out of the grave to give you life and to set you free. So I don't know where you're at, but I know that there's some people in this room right now that are deeply pained. And you may know God and you may know who he is, but you're hurting deeply maybe for a circumstance that you can't control. But I want you to know this as I close, that God is for you. He fights for you. And he wants you to know his heart. Give it to him, give your life to him and watch as he offers life that nothing else can offer, no toy, no business, no amount of money, no hobby, no girlfriend, no boyfriend, nothing can fill the void that only God can fill. All the rest of it's a square peg trying to ram into a round hole. When you come to God, he gives you a round peg and he says, all right, I'm plugging that full and nothing can leak through because once I've sealed you, I've sealed you. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a good and a loving God, that you draw me to yourself, God, that you so tenderly come alongside and convict me, God, to convict me in ways that I have fallen short, but it's in your kindness and it's in your love. And I pray this morning, if there's someone in this place that does not know you, God, that they would turn to you, that they would surrender their life and they would see that you are a loving and a kind and a gracious God who cares for them deeply. 
All you have to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner and say, I just need someone to save me. I need someone to pull me from death and give me life, and that's Jesus. Believe who he is. Believe that he came to atone for your sin, that he went to the grave, he hung on a cross, he exploded out of the grave. Just believe him. And if there's someone in this room this morning that is deeply hurting but has been saved and they are just doubting the love of God, doubting that God can care for someone like them, God, I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would invade this room, that you would fill this room, and that you would care for those who cannot care for themselves. That you would reveal your love and your goodness and your kindness, God, and you would do something that only you can do. Would you pick up the ear that someone else has chopped off and would you put it back on and remind them that I fight for you, I'm here for you, and even when you don't care for me, I care for you and I'm pursuing you. God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in this room and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.